A possible White House tax credit for a Chinese-owned automaker. Will its electric cars qualify? New action in the U.S.-China trade war and a tit-for-tat scheme. Beijing now restricting exports of two metals used in semiconductors. A movement to quit the Chinese Communist Party. Now the effort is being celebrated by one county in New York State. A Chinese surgeon kicked out of a medical school in France. That's for his role in helping Beijing's forced organ harvesting. And flood season is in full force in China, now with 50 rivers at risk of overflow. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A Chinese-owned automaker is on the hunt for a special tax credit, and its numbers may get a boost from the Biden administration. Cute Polestar, the Swedish carmaker launched in 1996, established by Volvo and its Chinese parent, Geely. Right now, it makes all its cars in China, but the company is looking to gain ground in the U.S. market. Here's how it hopes to do it. Polestar is slated to produce all-electric SUVs at its new factory in South Carolina starting next year. The company aims for some of them to qualify for a $7,500 tax credit. The subsidy is part of the Biden White House's Inflation Reduction Act. The automaker is slated to release a premium SUV priced at a point that exceeds the limit for the credit. But still hoping to benefit from the opportunity, the company is also coming out with a more budget-conscious version with scaled-down features that would qualify. Plus, according to Yahoo Finance, the higher-priced model might still reap the benefits. That's thanks to an exemption for leased cars, granting them the credit despite being too expensive or made outside the U.S. Polestar is also looking for U.S. market access in other ways, too. It recently committed to using a standardized charging port in its electric cars developed by Tesla. That project also partly subsidized by the administration. Back in China, the carmaker is taking other action. To make its products more desirable to buyers, Polestar is partnering with Chinese tech company Xinji Meizhu. The joint venture will develop an operating system for Polestar cars sold in China, packing the vehicles with the latest in smart technology. That means users will be able to directly link their phones to their cars. The venture's ownership is split 49 to 51 percent, with Polestar contributing $98 million and the tech firm handing over $102 million. Polestar CEO noted that cars sold outside China will keep their Google Auto system. The U.S.-China trade war is ramping up. Beijing is restricting exports of two metals used in semiconductors. The move is widely seen as retaliation for U.S. restrictions on sales of semiconductors to China. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the tit-for-tat move. China's Commerce Ministry said Monday it would control exports of gallium and germanium products to protect its national security and interests. It says exporters need to apply for licenses and report details of the overseas buyers to continue doing business. The metals are used in semiconductors, solar panels, electric vehicles and 5G base stations. The move has the potential to cause more disruption to global supply chains. The rule is set to take effect August 1st. Companies are rushing to react. U.S. semiconductor wafer maker AXT said Monday it would immediately apply for export permits through its Chinese subsidiary. Other companies are looking to stockpile products before the export controls take effect. Many buyers anticipate it could take up to two months to get a license permit for exports. 
The U.S. is concerned about China's use of artificial intelligence technologies in military applications. It's taking steps to curb the export of AI chips to China. The U.S. is also reportedly looking to restrict Chinese companies' access to U.S. cloud computing services and stop U.S. operations of Chinese cloud service providers like Alibaba and Tencent. Chinese AI companies can use cloud services and third parties to bypass export control rules. The restrictions are meant to close that loophole. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Another Washington cabinet member expected to visit China. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will make an official visit to Beijing starting Thursday. She is the second top U.S. official sent to China in just a few weeks, an ongoing effort to stabilize relations. Here's more. The U.S. is sending its second top official to China in a matter of weeks, with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen traveling to Beijing on Thursday. A senior Treasury official said Sunday that Yellen will meet with senior Chinese officials on a broad range of issues. Those include U.S. concerns about the impact of China's new anti-spying law on foreign firms that operate there. They also say Yellen's visit is part of a push by President Joe Biden to stabilize the relationship between the world's two largest economies and minimize the risk of mistakes when disagreements arise. As the world's two largest economies, we have a responsibility to work together on global issues. It's something we can do and something the world expects of us. According to the Treasury official who spoke on condition of anonymity, Yellen plans to tell Beijing that Washington will continue to defend human rights and its own national security interests through targeted actions against China, but wants to work together on urgent challenges like climate change and debt distress faced by many countries. Russian President Putin making a public appearance this week, his first since the Wagner mutiny. The Shanghai Corporation Organization, or SCO, held a virtual meeting on Tuesday. China and Russia lead the body. During the meeting, Chinese leader Xi Jinping addressed member states, showing opposition to the so-called color revolution. Color revolution is a term used to describe protest movements that are anti-dictator or anti-authoritarian regime. Xi also urged member states to enhance their solidarity, pledging to offer $3.7 billion to support Central Asia. Besides Beijing, India is also taking on a major role. Modi made a historic visit to Washington last month, where a warm welcome greeted him. Washington is looking to enhance cooperation with the world's newly most populated country, though one of the biggest reasons is to rein in communist China. Worth noting, Iran just joined the SEO, becoming its ninth member. Russia is also pushing for Belarus to join one of its key allies. None of the SEO members have condemned Russia's war on Ukraine. I would like to take this opportunity to thank my colleagues from countries of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which expressed support for the actions of the Russian leadership to protect the constitutional order, life and security of residents. The SEO is viewed by the West as one of Beijing's tools used to rally authoritarian countries against organizations like NATO and to help it take the leader in Central Asia and the Indo-Pacific region. Celebrations have kicked off across China, marking the start of July for the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP. July 1st is the anniversary of its founding. But a group of human rights activists are putting a different spin on the holiday, instead naming it Quit the CCP Day. Now one county in New York State has joined the movement, while other events have been spotted across America and elsewhere. Let's dive in.
This year's June 28th now marks a special day for Nassau, a Long Island County west of New York City. It has been designated Tuadang Movement Day in Nassau County. The term Tuadang refers to withdrawing from the Chinese Communist Party, as well as its two affiliated groups, the Communist Youth League and Communist Youth Pioneers. As of today, more than 400 million Chinese people have joined the initiative. More people have clearly recognized the essence of the CCP. They've seen that the CCP's bad government is the root cause of this disaster. Then they rejected the CCP, quit the CCP, and gained a new life for themselves. So this year, as of July 1st, in fact, the crisis facing the CCP regime is unprecedented. The Nassau County Proclamation applauds the cause as an emerging nonviolent movement in China. The movement also designated July 1st as annual World Tuadang Day. It's the same date the CCP uses to commemorate its founding. Celebrations marking World Tuadang Day were held over the weekend. Convoys of slogan-covered cars appeared on streets of San Gabriel Valley in Los Angeles, the densest Chinese neighborhood in Southern California. Each car and truck was covered with banners warning against the CCP in Mandarin and English. And over in New York City, human rights activists held an anti-communist, anti-infiltration rally in Flushing to denounce crimes of the CCP. The activists also set fire to the CCP's national flag. The real strength of a political party does not lie in its number of people. The more corrupt members it has, the weaker its power and the greater its inherent crisis. The Quit the CCP movement began in 2004 when the Epoch Times newspaper's Chinese language edition first published an editorial series called The Nine Commentaries on the Communist Party. The series break down the CCP's history and its nature shedding light on its doctrines of atheism and violent struggle. A global service center in Flushing now helps people quit the CCP under pseudonyms for safety reasons. Here's what one person who recently quit wrote on the center's website. Every year, July 1st marks the anniversary of the Communist Party as well as the day of suffering for our people. NTD News. A Chinese surgeon is being kicked out of a medical school in France. That's over his alleged role as a killer doctor who helped Beijing kill prisoners to supply forced organ transplants. China is considered the primary perpetrator of human organ trafficking. NTD's France correspondent David Vives has the story. Two years ago, the International Coalition to End Transplant Abuse in China warned France's National Academy of Medicine of the strong suspicion that one of their honorary members, Chinese surgeon Cheng Shusen, is involved in unethical organ transplants. Finally, the Academy replied. The Academy sent a letter in which they said they realized that this doctor is involved in scientific research using unethical organs. And so they decided to ban this doctor from the National Academy of Medicine. Shusen has performed thousands of liver transplants and is the president of the first affiliated hospital of Chexiang University School of Medicine in China. Undercover phone calls to the hospital found that the Chinese regime uses it as a base to illegally harvest organs from political prisoners. According to an independent investigation by the London-based China Tribunal, 
Up to 90,000 transplants are done in China every year. The majority of them are harvested from living Falun Gong practitioners. In this specific case of China, we're talking about people who are alive. These people are not brain dead. We're really talking about living people who are going to be killed, whose organs are going to be removed and sold to a patient. Shusen's case raised another point. French hospitals partnerships with China. Surgeons in France and other countries have helped China to develop its organ transplant industry. In France, we see French hospitals signing partnerships with Chinese hospitals. The techniques we use here in France are passed on to Chinese doctors who will use them to perform unethical transplants. So, in fact, this is where we are indirectly complicit in crimes against humanity. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Flood season is hitting China. Heavy rains are waterlogging regions and triggering landslides, causing severe damages and adding to the already high toll of China's post-pandemic era. A local bureau recently put out an alert warning of severe flooding sourced from 50 rivers across nine provinces. And the resulting landslides forced more than 900 people to evacuate. In China's southern Hunan province, over 10,000 people were forced to move to high ground due to a Sunday flood. About 2,300 homes suffered damage, with large swaths of farmland underwater. Estimated losses now top nearly $80 million. Meanwhile, in central China, one town is grappling with its most severe flood in 50 years. Public streets and residences took the brunt of the damage. Since late June, near-constant rainfall has accumulated into strong river currents. Now up to 11 provinces are expecting more downpours in the coming days, with approximately half of China forecast to be affected, especially the humid regions in the country's south. China is banking on a new legislation to ward off a looming food crisis, but critics say the law is no silver bullet. What difference will it make? And what do we know about China's food dilemma? Let's take a closer look. Beijing's rubber stamp parliament is weighing a new food safety law. It sets out steps like bolstering national seed stocks, promoting food conservation, and cutting the loss of agricultural land. Officials tout the measures as the answer to the food challenges facing the country. But critics say it could end up going nowhere due to lackluster implementation at local levels. One example, a similar food law was already on the table in 2012, but never moved forward. As a convention, Beijing's first directive of each year is geared toward agriculture. Xi Jinping has also made food security a top concern in recent years. With all the policy priorities, what's the state of China's food security? The country's grain output has picked up in recent years, but it's still not enough to feed a population of 1.4 billion. UN data shows that over 150 million Chinese continue to suffer from poverty and malnutrition. What's more, extreme weather is further weakening food production. The issue is complicated by the lack of transparency in the country's food counts and widespread corruption in its grain reserve system. Notably, China has grown more reliant on grain imports. Beijing is also boosting efforts to stockpile the staple, triggered by the war in Ukraine and testy ties with the U.S. and Australia. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, China could have already hoarded more than half of the world's grain as of mid-2022. 
Recent alarm bells also went off when Chinese companies started buying up American farmland, sparking food security concerns on U.S. soil. Fireworks bursting in the air throughout the nation tonight as Americans celebrate the 4th of July. We'll take an in-depth look at the history of the country's Declaration of Independence, dating back to July 4th, 1776. We'll also take you to the oldest church in Manhattan, St. Paul's Cathedral, the iconic landmark that has been the centerpiece of extraordinary developments from the Revolutionary War and 9-11. Plus, the Revolutionary War was full of fake news, misinformation, and propaganda that targeted America's leading general, George Washington. Award-winning author and historian Jane Hampton Cook joins us to explain. We'll also talk to Bob Woodson about how 1776 unites a young struggling nation, bringing whites, Native Americans, free and enslaved blacks together to win the Revolutionary War and lay the groundwork for winning freedom for all Americans in the new nation. And educating the next generation of Americans about the greatness of this nation to continue to be a beacon of light, freedom and hope for the world. All that and more next on America's Hope. Coming up, a warning to Americans, don't travel to China. That's over fears of arbitrary detention and exit bans under China's new sweeping law that kicked in over the weekend. What does the new rule really mean for foreigners in the country? As Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen heads to China this Thursday. We hear from Nicholas Eftimiadis, retired senior intelligence officer and author of Chinese Intelligence Operations and Tactics for more. Those details after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is heading to China this Thursday. But the U.S. is sending a different message to Americans, warning them not to travel there. That's after a newly expanded Chinese law could result in exit bans and arbitrary detention. Here to help us understand it all is Nicholas Eftimiadis, retired senior intelligence officer and author of Chinese Intelligence Operations and Tactics. Nick Eftimiadis, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you very much for having me. The U.S. is warning Americans to reconsider traveling to China. That's after China's new expanded loss kicked in over the weekend. How real of a threat is this? Well, it, it's a very confusing situation. It certainly is a threat. And China's had arbitrary arrests and arbitrary detentions not allowing people to leave the country for, for some period of time now. It could only add more to the fear and the possibility of arbitrary detention. And it seems part of that confusion is just the vague nature of the law, where it just says anything that impacts national security. And now a lot of businesses, foreign businesses operating in China are concerned that basic business practices could actually put them in trouble. So what should companies do now going forward? Well, um, you're right. I mean, that's the exact point is that just normal business practices could put them in trouble. And it's 
it's ironic. It's it's sort of crazy. At the same time, the CCP is trying to woo businesses and bringing Bill Gates there and Elon Musk and trying to you know woo the billionaires into investing in and remaining in China. So I, I, companies are going to be in a state of confusion. Um, but it, I, a number are already making plans to leave China. And it does seem we're seeing kind of this escalation in terms of a tech war between the U.S. and China, especially the U.S. has been making sure China can't get its hands on advanced semiconductors or microchips. And now China announced on Monday that they're restricting exports of two key minerals, gallium and germanium. How do you see all of this impacting, say, our daily lives? Well, this is China's retaliation, obviously, um, for, uh, you know, for export restrictions from the United States. They don't have that much to, to retaliate with. I mean, they, they, they do in a degree and, you know, for uh, precursors for uh, for uh, pharmaceuticals and things like that. But um, their 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 response capability is a little limited. China's you know approach towards this has always been China wins. And, and that's the acceptable, you know, the acceptable alternatives that they've made very little in the way of um, very little in the way of uh, uh, working with foreign countries as opposed to trying to coerce them, or in the case of high-tech, steal from them. And on the note of China winning, it seems the next top U.S. official, Treasury Secretary Jenny Yellen, is the latest to say that the U.S. is not seeking a decoupling. She's actually headed there on Thursday. How should we read this? Um, you, you read it as the Biden administration trying to hold on to the relationship. And it's, uh, in some sense, is actually ironic that you have things like the um, the surveillance balloon, that the Biden administration isn't releasing any information to the American people. So they actually are put in the extraordinarily bizarre position of covering up for the Chinese government's actions, you know, simply to not let people know what's honestly going on, to not get them um, inflamed, if you will, to inflame the population. So I think the Biden administration is going one way, I think the population is going another, and I think the Congress is more in the direction of the population. Biden administration is is sort of in a position of maintaining relations, the relationship at, at all costs. Um, but that doesn't seem to be working, you know, without actually, you know, working on behalf of the of the CCP. Kind of crazy, but that's the way it's evolving. And to your point, China has, or the Chinese Communist Party has their 100-year marathon. They seem to have these very long, forward-looking goals. In terms of the U.S., it seems often with every four years or eight years, a new administration, the policies change. How would the U.S. go about that kind of expanding on your last point? Well, as I said, so the key is not even necessarily the policies, because they are going to change from administration to administration. They will also change as a response to what China does. The issue is fundamentally understanding 10 years from now what we want this relationship to look like. We want China to be part of the global uh, global um, norms, you know, for a global society. We want China to obey, you know, um, uh, global norms in, in legal procedures and how their business procedures go. That's it's a simple. We want less aggression. We want to calm down some of their actions in claiming the South China Sea and certainly their coercion and threats. Okay, let's start with a base of that. Year to year, the policies that we have to implement are going to change to getting there. So that that we can expect. But the goal, everything has to be driven by that goal, by that 10 year goal. And how do we get there then so that we see this and understand this? 
Well, um, yeah, that's that's sort of the $64,000 question. Um, because administrations haven't tended to um, tended to take this approach, I think it's uh, it's important that the Congress put into law actions that are going to get us in this direction, get us moving towards a goal, requiring the administration to provide annual updates on where you are to achieving, you know, let's say this goal as it sets out over years, to keep successive administrations and the government bureaucracy focused on achieving certain metrics that move us along with the relationship with China. And then it's up to the government to implement. It sounds like a lot of this comes down to that fundamental understanding of what even the Chinese Communist Party is. And right. with all the areas covered today, any final thoughts you'd like to share? Um, yeah, actually, you know, we, we, um, we've had a misunderstanding for 30 plus years, almost 40 years on what the CCP is, what its nature is and what, what its goals are. I mean, we've really got to wrestle with this, understand what it is, and then start working on behalf of the American people instead of hiding things from them that China's doing. Uh, there's nothing but play into the CCP's hands. Nick Eftemiadis, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.